gonna be an exciting week right here at third phase moon welcome back everybody from around the world we've got a huge interview coming up with david wilcock in just a moment but i wanted to let everybody know we're going to be speaking with Corey good this sunday right here at third phase of moon an exclusive in the meanwhile listen to this i asked david wilcock the big questions whether he has a proof to prove what they say and much much more listen up guys with extraordinary claims, it requires extraordinary evidence. Now, what if this was all made up by somebody creative, an author, a writer? Can you tell us if you could provide any proof to substantiate these claims? And if so, where did you get the information from? Well, certainly it's ironic that you would quote Carl Sagan when he said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Given the fact that we have very good intel that Carl Sagan himself hate to say this, but it's YouTube, we can just say what we want. Or at least we thought we could, right? <laughs> Carl Sagan himself apparently got caught cheating on his doctoral dissertation. He had borrowed some information and plagiarized it. Um, he was very embarrassed about it. And he was, in fact, a member of Majestic 12. So he actually knew that we were not alone in the universe, and his conclusion was that we were not ready for this information. So on the one hand, he's out there being Mr. Arch Skeptic and debunking all things related to UFOs. Well, on the other hand, he wrote the book Contact, which then becomes the movie Contact, where he's talking about this crazy machine that allows people to travel through portals. And that machine is essentially based on real stuff. And so Carl Sagan knew a whole lot. And in the movie Contact, you remember, there's this albino dude, really creepy looking guy, who ends up blowing up the first machine that was built. And that was Carl Sagan's dig at religious fundamentalists and his belief that we as a planet are not ready for this technology, we're not ready for this information, and that if we did hear this, that people would destroy it. So there is plenty of extraordinary evidence. That's not the problem. It's the catchphrase that people then use as a wedge to overlook really good information. We have pictures of the ruins on the moon. We have pictures of the ruins on Mars. These are not natural land formations. These are clearly artificial structures. And there is such a wealth of evidence. All you have to do actually is pick up my book, Ascension Mysteries, and read the second half of the book. It is positively loaded with references. There's over 430 references in that book, all proving that our solar system was colonized a long time ago, that there's all kinds of weird stuff out there. We have pictures of it, and we know that there is a historical case for solar flashes every 25,000 years, because that actually is information that's available, where you see super volcanoes going off on the 25,000 year cycle, you see sudden advances in genetics, the Neanderthals died out about 25,000 years ago, there were huge leaps in human intelligence exactly 50,000 years ago, and there was a Behringer crater that formed, which people think was an, a meteor that was hitting, but it actually appears to have been an explosion from the inside of the Earth coming out. 75,000 years ago, of course, we have the Lake Toba supervolcano. So you do get a 25,000 year catastrophe cycle. The theory about the law of one, that it is the power to travel amongst the stars, galactic travel. Can you tell us a little bit more about its technology, features, and the characteristics behind the law of one? Well, that is a very important question because it relates to everything that my work has been about. Um, 
I first discovered the law of one material back, actually I first heard about it back in 1995 when I read a very enigmatic book by Dr. Scott Mandelker called From Elsewhere, The Subculture of Those Who Claim to Be of Non-Earthly Origins. So there was a whole reference in the book to this material called the law of one. And I had never seen or heard about this before, but I started to look for it. I found it in a bookstore in Albany uh, called Borders. It was on Wolf Road in Albany. And I started to read the law of one eventually. And it was so amazing because this material tied together everything that I'd ever been studying on so many different topics. It was so vast and far reaching. It tied together material on the global grid, which is the very fascinating discussion about where the pyramids on Earth are located, that there's a geometric pattern that the Earth's energy fields are flowing through, that the 12 major nodes on that grid are where all the vanishings and disappearances of ships on the ocean and airplanes in the air take place. The Bermuda Triangle is only one out of 12. They're equidistant from each other, and they form a geometric pattern called an icosahedron. And then when you flip that shape inside out, you get the dodecahedron, and it's the combination of those two geometries that shows you where the continents formed, it shows you volcanic ridges in the bottoms of the oceans, and it actually happens to be a layout for all 3,300 different ancient megalithic stone architectural sites. So the fact that I'd already done this research and figured this out, and then I come to the Law of One and they're talking about it, and they're talking about it on a level much more academic and much more advanced than how I had studied it up until then. And I'm learning about all these different changes in the basic rules of physics and biology in the Law of One that could be scientifically proven. I had already been looking into the face and the pyramids on Mars. They talk extensively about the civilization that lived on Mars. In fact, even the whole thing about the planet exploding and then the people eventually migrating here, that was all in the Law of One too. And so there's a lot more to the Law of One. There's this very fascinating history about the Law of One that we go through in our new movie, The Cosmic Secret, where it appears that this civilization that actually became the source of the Law of One had been around here 2.6 billion years ago and they left certain artifacts behind on Earth. That's one of the really cool things we talk about in the movie. So I could go on and on about the Law of One for hours, but not only does it have this amazing scientific basis, it's also very philosophically useful. Dr. Scott Mamelker, the guy who wrote that book from elsewhere, said that he felt that the deepest knowledge of Buddhist mysticism at the highest levels is all contained in this, in this Law of One material. And he should know because he literally had gotten a PhD in East-West psychology, literally a doctorate in studying the best Buddhist spiritual teachings that exist. So the Law of One is very fascinating. It's a key part of the movie. David, the conspiracy theories go nuts in regards to your theory about the moon possibly being hollow and it was strategically placed in orbit. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? So we do have some conventional uh, speculation about the moon potentially being hollow and this started around 1970 with various things that were being noticed for example when Apollo 12 left the moon and it discharged its uh, launch booster rocket 
the booster rocket fell to the moon's surface. And the moon's surface, once it fell, then rang like a bell for approximately an hour. There are definitely skeptical explanations that you can find online. You know, Wikipedia is now infamous for only having the skeptical, boring explanations on things. They say, well, there's so many seismic monitors on the moon. We would know if the moon was hollow. And maybe this was all a misunderstanding about the way that the moon echoed when this launch booster rocket hit it. But you have to understand that this goes a lot deeper than that. This is intel that I have received from people who proved to me that they had worked in highly secretive government programs, military programs, and it's considered common knowledge that it's not like the whole moon is hollow, but it's that the beneath the surface of the moon, there are cities that you could live in, and in some cases, it's as many as 10,000 floors of these cities. So the speculation based upon what people saw was that a something that's only the size of a baseball is sent backwards through time. They can send solid material objects through time portals that go back many, many millions of years. And inside that baseball is a bunch of nanites, little nano robots. And believe it or not, they are self-replicating. They know what they're doing. You have it go back in time, and then you have it crash into the moon that you want to terraform. The little robots come out and they start replicating themselves and they start digging tunnels and they will build, based on kind of like an artificial intelligence, they will build as much of an underground city as they can. But they have to have certain types of metals. So one of the funny things I've heard about this is that different parts inside the moon, the cities go deeper than others because it depends on what kinds of metals these nanobots could find inside the moon to develop into the city. But in the thickest areas, you got 10,000 floors. The implication is that the moon was a very ancient technology that was used to transport entire civilizations. In other words, there are certain types of beings that you could call watchers, you could call them guardians, you could call them elders, and their job is basically to watch over every planet that has intelligent life on it and make sure that those people are safe if anything happens to their planet or their solar system. And you, you have to not violate their free will, so this has to be done in a way where they wouldn't know what was going to happen until right when the rescue squad is necessary. So because of this, what we end up seeing is that a moon can be used to camouflage the packaging and the transportation of a whole planet worth of people and their biosphere from one place to another. That is apparently what the moon is. Our moon is, a, is an old junker car. Back from when this was done, with physical moons. And the sheer number of different insiders that have told me about this is absolutely mind-blowing. And that's a very important part of the story. But in the movie, we go through some of that insider information. We talk about the mysteries of the moon, and we talk about how it fits in with this greater puzzle that we're exploring right now. So the race from Tiamat escapes their own destructive planet and now makes its way to Earth. Why haven't we seen any kind of footprint of their existing civilization from hundreds of thousands of years ago? Was there some kind of catastrophic event like a solar flare? Or was there a pole shift that could have wiped out this highly advanced civilization, maybe such as Atlantis? 
Okay, this is obviously one of the most contentious parts of the research that we do because when you look at what it says in the Law of One series, which again is not provable at this time, the implication is that every planet that has intelligent life on it, like us, ends up having these cycles that, at least in our galaxy, correspond to 25,000 years in length. Now, that might seem impossible, but we do know that the Earth at least has this particular orbital cycle because the stars in the night sky drift by one degree every 72 years. That's called the precession to equinoxes. 72 times 360 is 25,920, and that's the total number of years in the cycle. Now, could it be that this is something that is consistent across all solar systems in our galaxy? Absolutely. And the reason why gets back to a very massive number that was found on the Sumerian cuneiform tablets. And this was discovered by Maurice Chatelain, who was the director of communications for the Apollo moon missions. And he wrote a book called Our Ancestors Came From Outer Space. It happened to be one of the very first ones that I read in 1993 about UFOs. And what he showed was that there was this number on the Sumerian tablets that was a common denominator for all the orbits of all the planets in our solar system, meaning that you could take different orbital cycles and they would all divide into this bigger number evenly. So a certain exact number of cycles of Pluto, a certain ex which is 25,000, a certain exact number of cycles of Halley's Comet, which I believe is 86,400, a certain exact number of cycles of Venus, exact number of cycles of Earth, with no decimal points, no fractions. They fit in perfectly. And that suggests that all the planets mesh together like beautiful clockwork of gears. So when you're looking at that kind of information, it's interesting to postulate that maybe the law of one is right and maybe the 25,000 year cycle is consistent throughout our galaxy. What we do have pretty good intel on is the idea that every time this cycle comes to an end, that the sun is energized and releases a massive blast. Now, this is becoming widely studied. It's called a micronova. That's one of the scientific terms for it. Uh, we've been calling it the solar flash for many years. It is a release of very bright white light. It's a release of heat, and it's a release to a certain degree of molten material that comes out of the star at the end of the cycle. If you are living in a materialistic civilization and they know about this, they don't see that there's a spiritual component to it, and they just believe it's a catastrophe that you have to survive. And a lot of the US military and other militaries at this point are aware that this is about to happen again. And they do think the only way we can survive is to leave the solar system. Uh, and you see a variety of movies that talk about that, like the movie Knowing, as one example, the movie Interstellar, of course, is all about humanity needing to flee the Earth. So this keeps coming up. If you understand the spiritual component of it, what you realize is that the sun is doing a dimensional shift. And for those people who are ready, they can activate themselves into actual superhero type of abilities. And that is the fundamental concept of ascension. It's not new. It keeps happening. And these people with the elongated skulls have survived these previous catastrophes. They've stayed on Earth. Our research in Above Majestic has concluded that these people became what we would think of as the Cabal or the Illuminati, that they do consider themselves the descendants of 
extraterrestrials that crash landed on the Earth. But we go way deeper into the story and the cosmic secret. So I hope you'll check it out. So David, how is it possible that pyramids from around the world are so similar? We have hundreds of thousands of pyramids that still have yet to be discovered in jungles, uh, beneath the sand. Was there some kind of universal blueprint in the design of these pyramids? Can you tell us the reason why? All right, well, I know in the movie, Dr. Samir Osmoganich does postulate there could be many, many more pyramids than the ones we've identified. I don't know if it's that many more. Um, I haven't personally encountered information. I'm very open-minded. If it's true, that would be awesome. But what I can tell you is that my research has absolutely shown uh, three Russian scientists named Goncharov, Morozov, and Makarov. And together in the early 1970s, they looked at this research showing that there were 12 regions on Earth where ships and planes were disappearing. When you play Connect the Dots, this was done by Ivan Sanderson, you get an icosahedron. And that shows that the points of this geometry, the points of this icosahedron, somehow become portals that take you through time and space. That's pretty amazing and pretty weird. Well, the Russians figured out that if you flip this shape inside out, you get this geometric dual, which is a dodecahedron. That's now a pentagonal-faced soccer ball kind of thing with 12 pentagons. If you combine those two geometries, the icosahedron and the dodecahedron together, then all 3,300 pyramids on Earth appear to have been built on this grid. Now, do I think there was a central architect who did this on purpose? Actually, no. I think it's a science, it's a physics, and the beings that came here and built pyramids needed to use this grid because its energy helps to contribute to levitation of stone blocks, anti-gravity. So this is a very fascinating subject as well. It's one that we talk about in the movie. And there are some very compelling pieces of information in the movie where we show you pyramids in, believe it or not, Cambodia that look identical to pyramids in Mesoamerica. It's the same design. And to think that it's not the same design is is absurd. So now we have the entirety of the Pacific Ocean in the way between Cambodia and Mesoamerica, and yet they're building according to a particular design. So we find out in the movie that there were two different races of these elongated skull people, one from the super-Earth and one from what is now Mars. The super-Earth, of course, exploded. They do look a little different, and we talk about the differences in the skull types, the two different types of elongated skulls. In the skeletals, skeletal records that we see here on Earth, the skeletons, their elongated skulls, and the differences in how they look. One group went over to Africa and Europe. The other group went through Mesoamerica and the uh, eastern half of Asia. So that's a fascinating discussion because we talk about how those two races actually are the roots of the two major warring factions of the Illuminati today. I know you guys got something else coming up. Can you let us know what the next revealing thing is and are you ready to ascend? Well, the biggest thing that I'm so excited about right now is the fact that the Navy has declassified patents. And I say declassified, they filed patents for a flying triangle anti-gravity machine called a Hawk or H-A-U-C, a hybrid aerospace underwater craft 
It can zip underwater, it can zip through space, and it's anti-gravity. Now, the Navy actually patented this, and they said the reason why is because they wanted to beat the Chinese to it. The guy who did it was named Salvatore Paeus. Then the same inventor, Salvatore Paeus, also patents a compact fusion reactor, as they call it, that has as little as a thousand watts of input voltage, but can have as much output as a trillion watts, which is a terawatt. Now, just for comparison, a gigawatt is one thousandth of a terawatt, okay? The biggest nuclear power plant in America is Palo Verde in Arizona, and that puts out four gigawatts. So this little reactor, they say in the patent, could be as little as a foot wide, and it could put out a thousand gigawatts. And they also say that it could be made to run with no input power. So it is literally free energy. And then Salvatore Paeus also patented a lead zirconium titanate superconducting material where just simply giving an electromagnetic field allows it to be a superconductor at room temperature. And that's the only reason why this weird compact reactor actually works. Okay. So think about this. Salvatore Paeus, who is this guy? There's only one picture of him. We don't really know if it's him. And yet this man files these patents and the U.S. government makes them free to use. You don't have to pay Salvatore Paeus royalties. It's free to build an anti-gravity machine. It's free to build a free energy machine. And the actual uh, Navy itself declared that these are operable. Now, to make that declaration in a patent filing means that you have already built it and it works. So the Navy actually certified that this stuff is not speculative, it's not theoretical, it actually works. This has been unfolding throughout the course of the year. The media is not talking about it at all. That makes me very upset. And I just wrote an article about it on my website, divinecosmos.com. And then one of our readers figured out that Salvatore Paeus is a code name. Salvatore means savior and Paeus means nation. The savior of our nation. Isn't that something? So that really starts to make it sound like this guy, even if that is his name, he was chosen to let these patents go. And they claim one of the reasons is that they know the Chinese are working on this stuff and they don't want to have to pay royalties to the Chinese in perpetuity as we all start getting our hover cars. Now, the chief technology officer of the Navy, Sheehy, or Sheely, I forget what it is, it's in the article. He did say, this will become a reality. This is what we're going to have. So if you don't think that technology is going to take more quantum leaps, you're not paying attention. Disclosure is on the horizon. Very big stuff is coming our way. And Cosmic Secret shows you the potentials of what could be. The potentials of us moving into a true Star Trek age. The potentials of a worldwide spiritual activation that teleports those of us who are ready into some new type of beingness where we actually are like superheroes with telekinesis, levitation, telepathy, all this amazing stuff. I do consider the Cosmic Secret to be a must-see. And I want to thank you, Blake, for bringing me on and hope that your audience will enjoy all these things that we've shared. Thanks for watching, everybody, and thank you, Blake. This is David Wilcock. We'll see you next time. We want to thank everybody from around the world who joined us right here at Third Phase Moon with my interview with David Wilcock. Give us a big thumbs up and make sure to stay tuned right here at Third Phase Moon. We have the exclusive with Corey Good. Make sure you subscribe and get notified and keep your eyes on the skies, everybody.
we're not alone.